Amen. Let's pray, and then uh, let's get into it. God, we humbly come before you, wanting only you, wanting to hear your word, wanting to be challenged, wanting to be Christ-like. So God, I pray that you would challenge us today. God, I pray that I would humbly proclaim what you want me to, not so I would look good or sound good, but so you may find glory. God, we may be challenged afresh and anew to be more like you, and I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. This is a continuation of my last sermon where I kind of left you with my last thing I told you was, is you just do your part and God will do his. And a lot of doing our part is kind of sharing our faith and how we can talk to people about him. And so that's what I want to tell you about today. And I want to teach you a method, this kind of method I have evolved from for the last seven and ten years of dealing with people. This is not a fail-proof method. It's like, you do this every time, they're going to accept Jesus Christ in their life. That will never happen, and that's just not it. But I promise you, if you do some of these principles, you will have leverage and be able to speak into people's lives truth that maybe you've never been able to do before. You'll be able to ask these questions to get to the soul of who they are and really have deep, meaningful conversations, which I know a lot of us long to have that. So if you just follow these principles, I promise this will ch- it will change the way you evangelize and share your faith. So if you're with me, I need to bring up my first slide, which is this. This is my pride and joy, folks. This is my 2017 Toyota Sienna minivan. And I was one of those guys who was like, I will never own a minivan. I said that over and over, like, never. No, never, never, never. Who wants to drive a minivan? You can't look cool driving a minivan. Isn't it true, guys? You're like, I'm not going to drive a minivan. I hate it. But unfortunately, I kept having children. I have four of them. And so it made it a necessity, you know. And my wife's like, I think we should buy a minivan. I'm like, babe, we are never buying a minivan. Never, never, never. And then I started having car problems and issues. And so I decided, all right, maybe I need to look into this minivan type thing. And so... I did, and I, and I settled on a certain type of minivan, so, so I get this thing, and I buy it. And a month into having it, I was like, this is the best decision I ever made. Why didn't I do this earlier? I was so stubborn and foolish. It was so dumb. So let me tell you a little bit about the Toyota Sienna, all right? Buckle up, all right? Because it's about to get real. It is the only minivan that has all-wheel drive, which is an absolute necessity in western Pennsylvania, all right? Because you never know when those snowstorms are going to kick up or anything like that. So you want that safety when your wife and kids are driving to have all-wheel drive. Also, the engine is unbelievable, 296 horsepower, all right? So if you are at the stoplight and you are not paying attention, I will smoke you, all right? <laughs> V6, 3.5 liter, V6, 8-speed automatic transmission. When we are on the highway, I stomp it down, and she goes, baby, she goes, all right? For those of you who care about miles per gallon, my father isn't here. This is the number one thing. It's a little bit bad. It's 19 city, 27 highway, you know, which is okay. But for the V6, that's what you're going to sacrifice with. And it has second row captain chairs that slide way back, all right? So you can fit everything in you need. Two sets of third row latching anchors so you can put the kids in the back. 180 degree backup camera, class leading cargo room. How many of you want to buy a Toyota Sienna? I see some, some like sheepish hands, like, all right. And the truth of the matter is, is a lot of you are going to leave here, and you may have heard that. And are you really going to buy a Toyota Sienna? Probably not, unless you had a real interest in buying one beforehand. Maybe I just sealed the deal. But what I want to tell you, and, and as honestly and as nicely as I can, is that's how a lot of us evangelize. This is how we share our faith. We talk about the need that we have, 
and say, this is how, how it filled my need. That's where accepting Jesus Christ was the best decision of my life. We, we correlate it with that. It's just the problem is, is that the need and in, in, in what has corresponding in the person's life doesn't match up, that it's not apples to apples. And then what we often do is how I gave you facts about the Toyota Senna. I started rattling them off. That's what we do. We send Bible verses to people about this and that and that and that and that. There's just this problem. If they're not a Christian, they don't believe the Bible verses that you're sending them. In fact, what often it has is the negative effect that you don't even realize this, is you're making that person read these, hear these Bible verses and going, unless they're interested in Christianity, you often make them feel what? Judged. They feel like, I can't live up to this standard. I know this person wants it for me, but I don't really want it for myself. It's like me telling you the facts of a Toyota Sienna. They're all true. Like everything I just rattled off, that's from the manual. They're all true, and Bible verses are true. But unless you want a Toyota Sienna, it means nothing to you. And that's often what we do inadvertently. So this is what I want you to do. I want to teach you a little bit different way of evangelizing, of sharing your faith. That what it's going to do is, here's the amazing thing about this method. Whatever step you get to, you can pick it up right where you left off. This isn't, again, foolproof, but I promise you, this is the most effective means that I have, I have found over the years. So if you're with me, open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is where we're going to be talking about the woman at the well. And I want to talk about my first principle to evangelism, to talk, to share on your faith. The first and most important thing is earn the right to be heard. You have to earn the right. Why? Give a person a reason why they should listen to you. You have to earn the right to be heard. So how does Jesus do this? Well, if you bring up my map, here's what's going on. Jesus is down in Judea. That's where him and his disciples were kind of hanging out. Go ahead, bring my map up. They're, they're kind of hanging out there. And he decides, I want to go back to Galilee, kind of back home. I, I, I want to go there. And you can see the dotted line is the straight shot. And you can go you know, from Judea to Galilee. It's a straight shot. The problem is, is there's this town called Samaria in there. And guess who lives there? The Samaritans. That's where they live there. There may be even a good one in there if you catch that pun. So there's the Samaritans right there. And there's just this problem, though. When Jews who are 100% Jews, who grandpa and grandpa and great-grandma and grandma and grandpa, they were all Jews, 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 Jews. So they only associate with Jews because if you associate someone outside of the Jewish realm known as a Gentile, that's why you've heard that term in the Bible, a Gentile, what happens is if I'm a Jew and I associate with a Gentile, I become ceremonially unclean. And then I have to go through all these rituals to make myself clean again. So let's just say I'm a Jew and a Gentile touches this water bottle and then I touch it and I drink out of it or touch it. Then I'm ceremonially unclean and then I have to go through all these rituals and it's just a pain in the butt. And that's why I go back to my slide of the map. So what most Jews would do is you see the red line? They would go all the way around, take the king's highway to get away from Samaria because they didn't want to have to deal with that. And think about this. If you are a Gentile and someone associates with you and says, hey, because I associated with you, I'm ceremonially unclean. How's that going to make you feel as a person? Like, it's such a lesser of a person. That's what the Jews inadvertently were doing. So there's the background, and we're going to pick it up. In John 4, verse 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It's about noon. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And it would be very dis difficult for the disciples to find this food because they had to find a Jewish vendor. 
And this, you guys, most of you know the story. This Jewish, I'm sorry, the Samaritan woman sits down beside Jesus. And Jesus does something culturally that is so out of bounds on so many different levels. First of all, that a Jewish rabbi teacher like him would even talk to a woman is like unprecedented. That he, because again of this hierarchy, he, you know, a, a teacher like him would never associate in a woman. That's just culturally, that's what was going on at this time. And then for him as a teacher to go, can you give me essentially a water bottle and a drink? Him to make himself voluntarily, ceremonially unclean. Again, this is unheard of, unprecedented what he's doing. He's breaking so many cultural barriers here that she had to be dumbfounded. And that's why she says in verse 9, the Samaritan woman said, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Because this is what the Bible says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. It's off limits. But you know what Jesus is really doing here? He's earning the right to be heard. He is doing something so different culturally that this woman is going, who is this guy? That he's even associating that he's talking to me. There must be something different about this guy. I am intrigued by him. And that's where Christians, we need to live different to culture, that in our culture that people go, there's just something different about this person that I'm intrigued by them. Let me give you a perfect modern-day example of this. Go ahead, bring up my next slide. This is the city of Chicago after the rioting in the last month. And you can see the windows are damaged. This McDonald's is torn to bits. And so what happened was is in the morning, all these owners of businesses and all these businessmen, what they had to do, they had to come clean up all the glass, figure out what was looted and stolen out of their places. They're frustrated. As they're going around trying to figure out why did this happen and what, what can we do to prevent this in the future. And they're frustrated all over these riots and they've lost these things. They've lost their businesses. And guess who shows up at about noon? Go ahead, hit my next slide. Chick-a-fil-A. We love their chicken. We love their waffle fries. We love their Christian morals. What do they do? They start showing up with a cart and all these people cleaning up. You know what they started to do? They started to hand them chicken sandwiches and waffle fries. And say, just thank you so much for doing this, for taking care of our city. We appreciate you. Look, I don't know where these people are spiritually, but culturally, you understand what they're doing? They're doing something so different. They're going, there's something different about these Chick-fil-A people. They are. Because why? As Christians, they are earning the right to be heard. When I researched this, here's the crazy thing, is that the city of Chicago, actually, they lobbied for two years to not have Chick-fil-A's, even in the city or in the suburbs, because of everything that they stood for. And yet, at the moment of need, what happened? Culturally, they step up and act like Christians. They earn the right to be heard by doing things that no one else would do. And that's what we do when we culturally do things that no one else would do. We earn the right to be heard. And you can earn the right to be heard by doing things like that. You can earn the right to be heard by just talking to someone. You can earn the right to be heard in two-minute conversation. It's just such a powerful tool. And so what happens is, let's go back to verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now let's be honest, you know the story. She's the town whore. She doesn't, that's why she's coming there at noon. She doesn't want anybody to associate with her. She's embarrassed. She has guilt. She has remorse. She doesn't want anyone. And so she's like, if he can give me this living water, I don't have to associate. I don't have to be, you know, condemned anymore. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you, can you get this living water? 
And Jesus is talking about, hey, look, I have what you're really looking for in your soul. I have purpose. And as Christians, when we live as people who have purpose, other people notice and go, I want what that person has. Because when you have no purpose in your life, guess what? You're looking for purpose, which is only found in Jesus Christ. And when we live our lives with purpose, people go, oh, I want that. There's something different about that. Let me tell you a quick story about this in my own life. I volunteer in an elementary school in the Butler Area School District. And as I volunteered at this school, I realized how much poverty was there, how many kids didn't have clothes, how many didn't have jackets, didn't have shoes, they were malnourished. And so I started to talk to these, the principals and the guidance counselors about what can we really do about this? What are, what are some things that we can do? And so they said, well, listen, if you could buy some jackets, you know, winter's coming, that would be such a blessing. I said, I would love to do that. So me and a bunch of my friends went up to Grove City Outlets. And so we went to a particular store. I love to shop anyways. Every one of my stories includes shopping in some way. And so I'm up there shopping with some of my friends. And I walk into the store, and we just start buying jackets. We, we grab a bunch of them. We grab some sweatshirts. And we go up to the counter. And we're, and we're paying for this stuff. And the lady's like, uh, you have a lot of jackets. What are you doing? And I always say, if you're going to ask, I'm going to tell you, all right? That's what I'm going to do. And so I just said, hey, look, I'm a pastor in a local community in Butler. And you know what? There's some kids in our, in our, honestly, in our school districts, they don't have jackets. They have so many needs. And so what we're doing as Christians is we're just meeting those needs. Well, the woman, when she heard that, was like, that's amazing. That, that's so awesome, you know, because I'm showing the purpose of what I'm doing. She's like, let me give you an additional discount for buying these things. I was like, all right, praise God for that. And in the future, every time I've walked into the store, guess what? They know my name and they know what I'm about. And it's enabled me to have spiritual conversations with people that I would have never had before. Then I go back to the school and, I, and we give away these jackets and we start giving them to kids and stuff like that. Which then the guidance counselor and, you know, other teachers, it's enabled me to be able to pray with them and talk to them about spiritual things that I would have never had those opportunities had I not done this before. And that's what it is. It shows that I have purpose. There's something different about this guy. I've even gotten letters from parents saying, hey, thank you for providing the jackets. What I'm doing, I'm just sowing seeds. And when you earn the right to be heard, then guess what? It's going to enable me to have more spiritual conversations with these people at different times. That's all it takes is doing things with purpose. And other people go, man, there's something about that. Think about how much you watch other people in their actions. Think about how much of your life you do that. And when you do godly actions, people are like, there's something different about that person I'm interested in them. Principle number two to make you a more better evangelist. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. And this is coming, taken out of John 16, or 4, 16. It says, then he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. I am not Jesus, all right? You knew that very, very clearly, all right? I do not know people's story. I do not have the prophetic word to know everyone's story. But whenever I go up to someone and I, I've earned the right to be heard, if I go up to them and I just say, you're too busy on your tablet. I told you you were going to be part of this, this sermon here. <laughs> Making sure I have the right verse. Hey, Den, tell me your story. I mean, most people aren't going to go like, I hate that guy. You know what I mean? 
I've earned the right to be heard. I'm like, hey, just tell me your story. Let me know more about you. I want to know the real you. Then people what? They share that. Now, if it's a woman, you may be there for two, three days, and that's okay, all right? <laughs> I'm not judging. I'm just saying if it's a guy, it may be five minutes. I just, that's just it. But when a person tells you their story, they've given you the greatest gift of all, a part of themselves. And when you show that compassion, tell me your story, and you mourn with them, you hurt with them, they tell you their wounds, their hurts, things that have tragically changed their lives, you become like, you know, a, a part of them. And you show that you care. And that's what Jesus said. I know your story, woman. I know that you've had five husbands. I know your life hasn't gone how you wanted to. But I still care about you. Tell me your story. And here's the amazing thing. Again, you may only get to that. You, tomorrow you may walk to the office. You may talk to someone and just, hey, hey, Frank, Bill, tell me your story. And you've just gained such access into the lives that you can just say, hey, I'll be praying for you after that. You may just stop the conversation there, and that's okay. But asking people their story is such a powerful thing. Third one, third point is clear the confusion. Clear up the confusion. This is from John 4, 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. She's like, listen, Jesus, I can tell you're way different. Like, there's just something different about your prophetic. You're doing all these things. Verse 20, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And so what? She's confused about what's going on in life. Like, well, what, what am I really supposed to do spiritually? What, what are these things? So what we want to do is we want to ask the right questions, all right? And it's going to get us the right answers for people. This is the question I love to say. Dan, after I've said, tell me your story, I would say to you, Dan, where do you get your morality or where do you get your sense of right and wrong? Because these are the sole questions that people think about when they lay in bed or, you know, and l- late at night. Like, wh- where do I get these things anyway? So I, I've earned the right to be heard. I've, I, he's told me a story. Where do you get your sense of morality? Where do you get your, your sense of right and wrong? And they're going to answer one of four ways. So I'm giving you the cheat sheet, all right? So you can write these down or you can re-listen to my sermon. But they're going to answer one of four ways. The first way is they're going to say, I get it from my faith. And they're like, that's great. You know, tell me about your faith. And I want to hear them say, you know, at a certain point, you know, I came to repentance and I accepted Jesus Christ in my life. And I'm like, sweet, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's great. You know, and that's why I was just seeing where you are spiritually because I care about you. If they say, hey, I get, you know, I get my morality and my right and wrong from another faith, okay? I do not have time to unpack this completely. I'll do this another time. But all other faiths in the world fall apart other than Christianity in these ways, okay? At the beginning, in creation, okay, because the Jews, the Muslims, and the, and the Christians all have the same beginning, but at the end, they have what? They have very different endings. Like Scientology, uh, Hindus, again, a lot of those things. I can't even tell you where they believe at the end, you know, and things like that. They're so shallow, and they don't provide any morality or any purpose in life, which I'm going to talk about in here in one second. So other religions fall apart at the beginning and end. Always remember that. But the first question says, where do you get your morality? Some people may say, I get it from my faith. And that's okay. And just make sure they're a Christian. If not, that's where they fall apart. And I will talk about that more in another time. I don't have, I could spend an hour unpacking that. So I will, just trust me on that one. Then where do you get your, where, where do you get your morality? Where do you get your sense of right? The second thing people say, this is the, the, the second most common answer I get, which is I get it from the government or society. I get my sense of right and wrong from the government or society. I love this answer because it's so easy to debunk. I just say this, okay, other than the military, name one thing that the government does really well. I'll wait. <laughs> and I just say this, and I said, 
And I always like to say this, do you really trust our government? And they're like, no. So you want them dictating your morality, what is right and wrong? Well, I, I guess that doesn't make sense. And let me ask you this, you know, when, when, the, Jew, I'm sorry, when the Jews were emasculated by, and killed by Hitler, all right, 70, you know, 7 million of them were, were destroyed and killed. Was that right or wrong? Well, that was wrong. But the government was doing it. So do you really want them determining what is right and wrong? Most people say, no, you're right. That's not a good decision. And then they'll resort to another one, which I'll get to in one second. This is the most common one in this area. Whenever I say, where do you get your sense of right and wrong? They'll say this, from my family. Because the reason why you live here is probably because of family. That's what Western Pennsylvania is. You know, this is why you're, you're here is because of your family. So I get my sense of right and wrong from my family, which, which I like to answer this way. Okay, that's, that's great. And I'm sure you have a great family. I'm so blessed to have a great family too. But let me ask you this question. Both of my grandfathers were alcoholics, were verbally and physically abusive to my grandmothers. Was that right or wrong? And they'll go, well... That was, that was wrong. And I'll go, well, but how? I mean, if I'm getting my morals from my family, what if I continued in those practices? And my grandfather, he was an incredibly huge racist. Was that right or wrong? And they'll say, that, that, that's wrong. And I said, you may have a great family, and maybe it's even based on certain values from the Bible, but if you don't actually have Christian values and morals, it just throws everything off kilter. Where do you get your sense of my family? And I just say, there's a lot of dysfunctional families out there. So I don't think it holds weight. And often if they say one of those other things, they resort back to this one. I just know from inside of me. They'll say, well, the government was right. Well, I just kind of have this sense of right and wrong. I love it when they say this, all right? Because this is the greatest launching platform there is. And so I just say to them, so does everyone pick what's right and wrong? They'll say, yeah, I think everyone should just be able to pick what's right and wrong. And so, again, I've earned the right to be heard. I've heard Dan's story. And I just say, Dan, okay, you know, let's, if everyone just picks what's right and wrong, let's just say I come over to your house. We're friends at this point right now. We've been talking for a while. I knock on the door, and Ellerman, I'm like, hey, Dan, how you doing? What happens if I pull out a gun and I just start shooting your family? Is that right or wrong? And obviously, Dan would say, well, that, that's wrong. But I'm just like, but what if I get to pick what is right and wrong how can you tell me I'm wrong? Because you're picking what's right and wrong. If everyone's picking and doing what's right in their own eyes, does that really make any sense? And most of the time they say, no, you're right. And if you get to pick what's right and wrong, here, here's another one that, that gets them too. This, this stumps them every time. If I'm picking what's right and wrong and picking my own morals and values, why do you ever feel any shame, guilt, or remorse? Because you're making your own values. I just know from inside of me what's right and wrong. But why would you feel any shame, guilt, or remorse? And guess what? People can't answer that question. Because the only way to deal with shame, guilt, and remorse is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then I ask them this question, verse, you know, clearly confusion. Why do we have morals anyways? Like, why have any morals? It doesn't make any sense. Like, why shouldn't I just cheat on my wife? Why shouldn't I steal and take whatever I want? Like, Why? Explain that to me, and guess what? They can't give you a great answer. And at this point, certain people will just stop you, and they're like, you're trying to get me to say that there's a God, you know, that there's a higher power and stuff like that. And I said, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not trying to say that at all. By your deductive reasoning, you are figuring that out. That's the truth. And I've said that to lots of people, is that you are figuring, because it's the only thing that really makes sense. 
Because if not, you're out just creating your own things, and you can't explain certain natural phenomena in the world of guilt, remorse, and things like that. And so if they haven't figured it out, this is my money question then. What do you think of the Bible? What do you think? And this is, this is finally the tell. I've gotten to this point. Now I'm going to start giving the facts about the Toyota Sienna. But you see how much I've worked up to this. What do you think about the Bible? And it's fascinating the answers I'll get. Some people will be like, well, I think it's a fable. It was a book that was written thousands of years ago. It was this. It was that. It's just made up. And then you ask them this question. I love dropping this question on people. As I just said, have you ever actually read the Bible for yourself? And nine times out of ten, you'll just see the color drop out of their face, and they'll go, no. So I said, I, I, I base my life off this book, and it's controversial. If it was a controversial TikTok or YouTube video, wouldn't you get on and watch it? They're like, yeah. So why wouldn't you just take the time to read it? What do you have to lose? And they never have a good answer for that. So this is where your evangelism can go two different ways when you're sharing your faith. If you have a, a relationship with this person, this is where I strongly advise you to do. Hey, why don't we just go through the book of John together? Just invite them over to your house and let's just have a Bible study. Let's just go through the book of John. Let God prove God to this person. He will. Just go through the book of of John, or pick another book of the Bible. I strongly recommend one of the Gospels. Then let God reveal himself to your friends. It's so much more efficient rather than you trying to answer every question. Let God, let Jesus show who he really was. If I'm never going to see this person, you know, let's say I'm in an airport and I'm witnessing and things like that. So what I will do then is I go to these three verses. These are the only real three verses I use to evangelize when I'm street evangelism or whatever on the spot evangelizing. I use John 3.16. Why? Because it's a verse that everybody knows. There's a comfort and familiarity with it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If Den and I were having this conversation, I'd say, Den, you know, I've earned, you know, I've earned the right to be heard. I've, told, I've heard your story. We've asked some of these questions. And I would say, I'd look at him and just say, I love you at this point. I want you to know that. And in the world, you know what you're looking for? And you're smart enough to realize this then, is that everyone is looking for love. And God loves you exactly the way that you are. And he has sent his son to die for your sin, your guilt, and your remorse. And so you can have purpose in your life. Isn't that much better than giving, me, than giving the facts about the Toyota Sienna? Sorry. Do you see how I, I've built this bridge and now I'm just leveraging it? Then I'll tell them this, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All roads don't go to heaven. Again, the beginning and the ends. That's where other religions fall apart. Only by believing in Jesus Christ can you get into heaven, Dan. That's why I love you. That's why I'm having this conversation with you. The last one is Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why you have shame, guilt, and remorse. And guess what? Jesus Christ wants to come and take that away from you. I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. <laughs> See, he's earning the right to be heard. I don't know him. And I, he just doesn't want me to fall off. I appreciate that. But that's how, again, for, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Because why? Because we have shame, guilt, and remorse. And God wants to take that from you. I'm giving the facts about the Toyota Santa. But now look how late it is in the game. And then what I may do is my fourth point is this. Is I may give my testimony. This is from John 4.39. 
Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So if I'm evangelizing to Daniel, I might say this. Look, when I was a young kid, you know, I was selfish. I did what I wanted. And I had no peace and no joy in my life. And then I came to a realization of who Jesus Christ really was. And I accepted him into my life. And he changed my life. And because of that great love within me, I want to share that with other people. And that's why I had this conversation with you today. It can be that simple. It can be as complex as you want it to be for your testimony. But usually I just share that. And then I ask them, would you like to accept Jesus Christ into your life? Now, is this 100% fail-proof? Absolutely not. But do you see how effective it is? I'm not going to lose this relationship. I'm not offending them. I'm not hurting them. I've just challenged them by their own deductive reasoning that doesn't it make more sense that there's a God. So go ahead, bring up the cheap sheet here. This is what it is. Recap. You want to bring up, you want to take out your cell phones. If I was smart, I would have printed these out. But if not, you can re-listen to my sermon. You can, you know, take, pull out your cell phone, take a snap of these. You know, whatever you want to do. But this is what it is. Earn the right to be heard. That's the most important thing. Tell me your story. Get the person's story. Where do you get your morals? It's usually going to be government, family, or fine. I just know from inside. Whoop. What is the purpose of this life? See, I almost fell. That's why he was there to help me. What is the purpose of this life? What do you think of the Bible? If I know this person, I may ask them to do a Bible study. If not, I use the three verses I talked about. And testimony is optional. Sound good? Pretty simple? I promise you, this is what, again, this is just what I've used the last seven to ten years. And it's helped me have so many great spiritual conversations with so many people. And that's what I know so many of you want to do. It's just asking certain questions like this. I'm going to leave you with two verses and this is John 4.35. This is all from the same part of Scripture. It says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Folks, people are ready for the gospel now, maybe than ever in our lives. They are looking for truth, and you have it. Are you going to give it to them? Dan's going to talk more about this next week, too. The fields are ripe. You have a sickle. I just gave you some, some, you know, some, some resources that better harvest the wheat. Second verse I want to read for you is us saying one sows, another one reaps is true. Look, I've sow a lot. With a lot of the conversations I have with people, I love sowing. You hopefully love sowing too. And guess what? You may reap on what I sow. That's okay. We're all on the same team. You may be sowing. You may invite people here. And guess what? We may reap it. And that's okay. We're all on the same team. The most important thing is that you're doing something and that you're living your faith and you're being who God wants you to be. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and we're going to pray. God, so many of us, we want to be better evangelists. We want to share our faith, but we don't know how. So God, I just pray that some of the principles that I talked about today would hit home and we would start thinking about maybe that one or two people. I just need to ask them, tell me your story. You need to take your relationship with another level with certain people. Or maybe you know this person's story and you just need to go up and say, hey, tell me where you get your sense of right and wrong. Tell me, do you have purpose in your life? We need to go deeper. We need to ask soul questions. Maybe there's that person at work, you need to, you've done a lot of this stuff, you just need to say, you know what, tell me what you think of the Bible. So God, I just pray that you would give us courage, boldness, and through faith through the Holy Spirit, you would grant us these opportunities to be the men and women of God that you want us to be so that we can change people's lives for your glory, not for our own. 
God, give us divine appointments. Give us the opportunity to earn the right to be heard. And let us be the men and women of God you want us to be. And I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. God bless you so much. And we'll see you guys next week.